0: So uh, I wasn't here last week, my good friend Tanissar was here. Uh, I was away teaching a retreat at Spirit Rock, actually similar theme to the retreat I just announced, but this is the, the retreat I taught, it was the Maranasati retreat, which is Mindfulness of Death. And it's actually my favorite retreat to teach, of all the retreats that I teach. Uh, because it's very powerful and very real. And uh, we had a full house and, uh, you know, a good good retreat. And I would really encourage anybody, if you haven't done a Maranasati retreat, a mindfulness of death retreat, um, uh, do it. Uh, and, you know, to be honest, the sooner the better, because you never know when you're going to die. And it's, you know, it's good to have some humor and laugh, but it's also just true. You just don't know. And the Buddha taught it, and it has a lot of import in the mindfulness teachings. It's in the first foundation of mindfulness. Mindfulness of the body includes a whole section about mindfulness of dying and mindfulness of death. And it's with myself and my friend Nikki Macafori and um, the Venerable Anallyao comes in by Skype or beams in or webs in, um, and he's uh, one of my favorite Buddhist teachers, and uh, he loves mindfulness of death. It's he finds it. He practices with it every day, right. and uh, it's very powerful. So, um, so I just got. Uh, finished with that retreat yesterday and home, and uh, and there were at least three people from San Francisco inside were on that retreat, and it, it was everybody said really positive things, very positive things. Um, but here, when I've been teaching here, I've been talking about the Eightfold Noble Path for the last few weeks that I've been here, and. Uh, the first few weeks we talked about right understanding and right intention. And I always like to say when you use the word, some teachers like to use wise um, uh, wise understanding and wise intention, and that's fine. I like right intention, I mean right understanding, right view, it's the language I grew up with. But also if you look up the word right, in the dictionary, one of the definitions is that which brings you in accord with the truth. That which brings you in accord with the truth. It's not just about right or wrong. It's about, oh, this is the understanding or the intention or the various practice of, uh, of um, uh, speech or action or uh, livelihood or etc., or um, effort or mindfulness or concentration that brings one in alignment with the truth. And that's a really important understanding of the wisdom of the Eightfold Path because it's about coming into alignment with the way things are so that we can wake up right here with what's here and who we are as we are. And so practice is in this way when we're looking at the uh, Eightfold Path is not just about realization and waking up, but about um, um, actualization or the embodiment of the Dharma. So the Dharma doesn't just live on our meditation cushion or in our room, but it lives everywhere we go is part of the Dharma. And so the Eightfold Path starts with Right Understanding, sometimes translated also as Right View, and then Right Intention, sometimes translated as Right Thought. And so those are the first two, those are considered the wisdom factors of the path. And then the next three are Right Speech, Right Action, Right Livelihood. And we'll be going through those starting this week. I want us to talk tonight about right speech. And uh, speech is a very uh, magical part of human reality, I believe. And, and maybe the reality of many of the uh, various beings who inhabit our world, right? Because so interesting to hear other animals talk also, which they do in their way, and uh, and they have their speech. And at Spirit Rock, if you've been to Spirit Rock, we have a lot of turkeys, uh, wild turkeys, who of course live there and do their thing, and they give, bowed to, even though they're pain in the ass sometimes, because they shit everywhere, but you know, it's life. And uh, and they talk a lot, and they're like,
1: uh, come on, come on, come on. and they,
0: whenever they get nervous, especially they say,
1: oh, "Get away from me!" <laughs>
0: it's so it's very interesting because uh, there was a parallel retreat while we were doing our retreat. So we had about seventy people on our retreat, and there were. Thirty people also staying at Spirit Rock who were part of the new teacher training, and I, I, I had breakfast one morning with one of the leaders of that training, uh, Gina Sharp, who founded uh, New York Insight. Was a old good friend, and uh, and she was like, "Oh my God, those turkeys! They're gurgling, googling all through our meditation this morning. I hate them." <laughs> Oh, it's good for your practice, Gina. <laughs> yeah. and, and Gina's great. It was actually just a side. and I also had to go out of a retreat and teach the teacher trainees, also, which was really fun. Great new group of people being trained to teach the Dharma. And. Um, And so, but speech, like whether it's the turkey speech or dog speech or human speech, is very interesting, and especially human speech, I find fascinating. One, because I'm a human, and I talk, right? I state things, and you hear what I say, and you have some idea what the hell I'm talking about. I hope, meaning I hope the language, I hope. It's what I find magical about language is it has meaning, whether you like what I say or you don't like what I say or you agree or you don't agree, still there's some transmission in the language that you're getting and then you're having a response to and you're thinking about or feeling and and that's magical because it didn't have, you know, it didn't necessarily have to be that way and I've, I've said this before but you know i could come up here and go and tell you What but you huh right and and it would be a whole different experience you you may get some sense of whatever i might be trying to convey or feel but it's much different than the words are making some sense to you and hopefully they're making some sense to me And then we're able to talk about things that, um, if we didn't have language, I don't know exactly how we would communicate about. And the whole dharma has been offered through language since the time of the Buddha, right? The Buddha gave teachings, and people woke up. That's pretty impressive in my world, in my view, and of course we have speech and we have the written word, which is really a a hallmark of human beings. Right, Ever since human beings figured out, which took a while, how to make symbols that then conveyed the words they were saying, when the words conveyed the feelings and ideas they were having in their hearts and minds, this whole magical, experience of language started to happen <clears throat> and speech has power and it has power to do good or do harm or to be beneficial or not be beneficial for other human beings or to create unity or to create division between people and of course we see this all the time in our world and especially depending on what um, people in prominence say, whether they're in politics or even in the arts, it, cre- it can create unity or division. And now we have something quite, uh, you know, we have the, an ongoing expansion of communication with technology and with the web, because now we can communicate anywhere in the world just about immediately, and also get information about what's happening anywhere in the world almost immediately. That's very powerful transmission of our interconnectedness happens through the web, and sometimes it's skillful and sometimes it's not skillful. Sometimes it's beneficial, and sometimes it's not beneficial. Sometimes it's true, and many times it's not true what's on the web. And so there are two parts to communication, which is there's speech, and there's also listening, like hearing. Is a very, which I've been naming here about I say things and you have some perception of it, is called listening. And listening is also a very important part of right speech because we can't communicate if we, we can't have interactive communication if we don't listen. And it's a very important piece of how to how to recognize the suffering of somebody, or a a people, or a culture, or a country, and how to respond to it is you have to listen to people so you can hear not what you think is happening, but what's happening for them, what their direct experience actually is. And And both for speech and for listening, it's very, Helpful to be embodied. And it was one of the great things about the retreat that I just talked about dying was we did so much practice about being and it being an embodied awareness that is meditating, that is walking, that is practicing, not a disembodied awareness. And this is true of speech, and I'll say more a little later about the difference between right speech and mindful speech. But um, just to say a little more about listening, there's a beautiful quote from Eckhart Tolle. He said, when listening to another person, don't just listen with your mind. When listening to another person, don't just listen to your mind, listen with your whole body. Feel the energy field of your inner body as you listen. That takes attention away from thinking and creates a still space that enables you to truly listen without the mind interfering. You are giving the other other person space, space to be. It is the most precious gift you can give. Most people don't know how to listen because the major part of their attention is taken up in thinking. And what I find interesting is yeah, when we actually get here in our body, we land here, we give space for somebody else, and we actually listen to somebody else, we can also hear what's happening in ourself. It's not one or the other. It's both and. We want to be here full, fully present for others and for ourselves. <clears throat> and part of this being here, fully, fully present in our body, allows for us to be um, uh, in touch with our body, but also our heart and mind to really see what what's here, and that's what's our motivation for speaking or not speaking at any time. Because there may be positive motivations for speaking, or negative motivations, reactions, or or unclarity for speaking, and the same for not speaking. Sometimes it may be clear understanding about why it's skillful not to speak, and sometimes we we might not be speaking for the wrong reasons. It might be unskillful not to speak. Sometimes it's really important to uh, stand up and say your piece, even if you're uncomfortable saying it, because something, Inappropriate is happening. Somebody's acting inappropriately or, or in some way that it, that's causing dukkha. And traditionally, there are four pieces, four negatives associated in Buddhism with speech that one, to, for right speech to happen, one abstains from false speech, from false speech, from slanderous speech from harsh speech and from idle chatter right so one abstains from <laughs> false speech slanderous speech harsh speech and idle chatter and one and there's four positives which is one speaks the truth speaks what's real speaks what's honest and true and one uses speaks speech that promotes friendship and harmony or one uses speech that is kind, or warm, or touching, and that one uses speech that is meaningful of value from the heart. And so, the, in my sense, the most important piece is about speaking what's true. Speaking what's true at that to- appropriate time and place doesn't mean we always say what's true. When somebody, our friend or you know, family, let's say, is having a hard time and, and we feel like oh we have to, they don't understand the truth, but they're having a hard time because of something that doesn't have to do with our truth. Sometimes it's not appropriate to say the truth, it's appropriate to wait or be skillful about when another a truth might be offered or something difficult might be said or even sometimes when something beautiful might be said, it's not the right time. And so, again, right speech, truthful speech, asks us to be very present and awake to to what's happening not only internally, but externally, and internally and externally at the same time. It means waking up together, not just alone. And it's a nice, There's a nice word about truth called ferocity, and I just like words sometimes. Ferocity, from the Latin verix, means speaking truly, and truth is related to accuracy, or uh, a certain kind of reputability, or honesty, or sincerity, or trustworthiness if somebody really speaks the truth we find them trustworthy or reliable or dependable or uh, yeah and they're straightforward we can trust what they say and i, I love certain people like uh, you know i've been friends with the venerable Inalio for a few years now and i i really love that cuz i feel like oh we can be real together even when we disagree we can be real And that's very important. It doesn't mean we just agree with one another. It means we can be real together. We can learn from one another. We can wake up together in that way. And one of the key principles about the truth is uh, what's called the love of the truth. Uh, A devotion to something greater than ourselves like the truth is more important than what I want or what I think or what I believe. What's really the truth? And sometimes the truth is not what I want or not what I wish or not what I imagine or not what I project, but I, I can wake up by really coming into harmony with the truth and there's a kind of appreciation and, uh, and love for what's true, because it means that When we love what's true, it means we can be real together. We can be real here and now. William Blake uh, had a beautiful little poem. He said that a truth that's told with bad intent beats all the lies you can invent. A truth that's told with bad intent Beats all the lies you can invent, and again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about the not just right view, but the right intention. Is this the right time to say something? And and of course, we we may know truths, and sometimes we might use them to hurt people, or to get back at people. And that he's pointing at the how powerful that is. A truth that's told with bad intent beats all the lies you can invent. And of course, if you really stay with the truth in general, if you tell the truth, Mark Twain said, he said, if you tell the truth you don't have to remember anything. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything because you don't have to shore up one's dishonesty or one's fudging around the truth or not being precise or direct about the truth. And it is said in the Buddhist tradition that, um, that speaking the truth is um, that the one precept the Buddha never broke before he was awakened the one precept he never broke was he never told a lie he never spoke a lie and there's a famous story where his son who he left to go find awakening at some point comes into the Sangha and becomes a student of his and it's one of the first things he teaches his son is never tell a lie no matter what You might not say the truth every time, but don't tell a lie. And of course, for all of us, if we look carefully, we might notice where we lie or fudge the truth or change it a little bit so we sound better or feel better or we think someone will think better of us. And so you could all just, you know, reflect about, you know, Um, when do we deny the truth, or not tell the truth, or when are we not honest with ourselves or other people? And why not? What what do we think is going to happen? What do we believe, or what are we protecting, or what are we defending? And of course, it is kind of, at least in my perception, kind of striking what happens when we read the news and there's so much untruth happening, right, especially in the political world these days. People just say whatever they want in order to get what they want, and it's just part of dukkha, and if, if you don't know the word dukkha, it's a poly word for suffering. And it's the key to all the Buddhist teachings. It's about dukkha, it's about suffering, and craving, and clinging, and attaching, and trying to make things some way, when we have so little control over so much. So part of what right speech does is asks us to not to abstain from false speech because false speech undermines trust and safety. This is from uh, a friend of mine, uh, Rev Anderson, who was one of the abbots at Zen Center for many years. And he said, when members of the Sangha practice right speech, excuse me, When members of the Sangha practice right speech, it generates trust and harmony within the community and becomes a strong support for others' liberation. On the other hand, when members of the Sangha speak falsely or act in a way that encourages others to use false speech, it brings about a deterioration of trust among people in the community and undermines liberation. And so it's something to reflect on for ourselves. Do we want to support our freedom and the freedom of others or, or not? Because it has an impact, it all has an impact both on ourselves and on others. We live collectively in this human world together. And there is this um, power of speech that I've been mentioning, or the magic of speech, because it can really liberate people. And that's that's what the Buddha gave was he gave he talked. You know, because he when he woke up it said he walked back and forth um, uh, reflecting on, on waking up for a number of days and he didn't know whether to teach or not. It's actually a very interesting story in the, in the Pali canon. and he's, he's thinking about should he teach or not teach, and at some point, um, uh, an, what we would call an angel or a deva comes down, and actually in the text it actually said it was a cousin of his who died at some point, comes down and really encourages him to teach people he says there's people who would wake up if, he, if the Buddha speaks. So the Buddha, first of all, gets a message, gets some speech, and whether it's from an angel or a deva, or from in his own mind and heart, he gets talked to by his, by his soul or something, or his awakening. And he sees, oh yes, he should speak. And then uh, some people awaken even just hearing the voice of the Buddha. It's, it's said in the text, but here's a quote that I love very much from Bhikkhu Bodhi who I've known and is a wonderful being. Um, and he says this, he says, truthful speech provides in the sphere of interpersonal communication a parallel to wisdom in the sphere of private understanding. I'm going to read parts of this again. Truthful speech provides, in the sphere of interpersonal communication, a parallel to wisdom in the sphere of private understanding. The two are respectively the outward and inward commitment to what is real the outward and inward commitment to what is real. Wisdom consists in the realization of truth, and truth is not just a verbal proposition, but the nature of things as they are. Truth is not just a verbal proposition, but the nature of things as they are. To realize truth, our whole being, has to be brought into accord with actuality. And I'm adding on now, our whole being has to be brought into accord with the truth, or what he's calling actuality, with things as they are. Truthful speech establishes a correspondence between our own inner being and the real nature of phenomena, allowing wisdom to rise up and fathom their real nature. Truthful speech establishes a correspondence between our own inner being and the real nature of phenomena, allowing wisdom to rise up and fathom their real nature. Thus, more than an ethical principle, devotion to truthful speech is a matter of taking our stand on reality rather than illusion, on truth grasped by wisdom rather than fantasies woven by confusion. Now that's like, as far as I'm concerned, that's just a great teaching. Because he's pointing at the nature of reality and how the nature of reality can speak. That the truth can speak itself. And it starts to put us into harmony with the way things are. And it starts to erase a little bit the dualistic idea of Uh, me speaking what's true, it's like the truth speaking itself. And of course, the paradox is, at the same time, It's truth speaking itself. There's often, and this is a very also important paradox. So it's not the end of the dual. It's both the dual and the non-dual awakening become important. Which means that that truth speaks itself, and also we need to act with virtue or with some ethics or in accord with alignment of what it means to be involved with human beings uh, in, in the human world. And so, And as my friend Jack Cornfield said, he said, at first, precepts are practice. Right? We take them on as a practice. He, he continues, then they, they become a necessity, and finally they become a joy. When our heart is awakened, they, they spontaneously illuminate our way in the world, the precepts. This is called shining virtue. Beautiful, beautiful name for the precepts. And when, and when they become awakened, This is called Shining Virtue. The light around someone who speaks the truth, who consistently acts with compassion for all, even with great difficulty, is visible to all around around them. So I'm going to stop the formal talk now. And what we like to do here at San Francisco Insight is uh, have a dialogue, hear what you might have to say about what I've said, any thoughts, uh, liking, not liking, agreeing, disagreeing, it's all good. It gets much more interesting and we start to Uh, metabolize and integrate the Dharma more if we talk about what's being talked about because we can all learn from one another in this way. So please feel free to uh, let me know if you have something, question, comment, reaction, liking, not liking. Please come on up. And you come up in this way, you'll face me, and please say your name so we all get to know each other.
2: My name's Madeline, kay. and my question is more around, um, you had said, to the effect of we don't always have to speak the truth. Yeah. But I, I sometimes find it's still a mission of the truth. That's the, 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 the omission, omission of truth, yeah, Yes, it's commission. You know, there's omission and commission. So I wanted to
0: hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, it's true. That's one of the that's wrong speech yeah. to not say something when it needs to be said, especially when there's dukkha and suffering. And you know, we're seeing this in so many ways, whether it's about um, racism or prejudice or about um, uh, sexism, or genderism, or especially the, right, in the whole Me Too is like people saying something that's true that hasn't been said needs to be said, because it's just continued because of the omission. Now, it does make sense to me that sometimes it's not appropriate for someone to say it based on the trauma or the possibility of more consequences. See, that's where it gets tricky, and that happens both around, and in many different situations. But, because um, I was just reading an article in the Sunday newspaper about, uh, about a ballet teacher who's being accused of molesting his, uh, the, really girls he was training, and you know, it's, and they didn't say anything for years, right, and, and okay, and I understand at 13 they didn't have the capacity, so the omission was to protect themselves in the ways they knew how, right, but at some point, it, it still lives with us, that kind of trauma or difficulty. And so it needs to get set, because we all need to get real together around, around any, any kind of uh, power differential that's being misused, whether it's about sexuality or about race or economic privilege or whatever it might be. We, we live here together, and if we're not going to get real together, we're going to die together in not a good way. Mm. And we need to wake up together and get real together, even when it's difficult for us, because it is for all of us at times, (laughs) to say something or to sometimes wait to say something, because sometimes that is needed.
2: It sounds like then to summarize that if the admission of the information is Thereby misleading or
0: creates more dukkha, and that's that's where the calling is. Well, well said. Yeah, when the omission leads to more dukkha, and that's what at least the woman who's included, who's accusing this ballet instructor, he she just said, I don't want this to happen to any more girls, and you know, at least from you know it's Again, I don't know what happened, or if this is accurate or not, because there are a lot of people defending this ballet teacher, but uh, better that it said, let's deal with it. Let's, uh, let's see what happens, rather than the quiet, because the quiet doesn't do any of us good, ultimately, in my opinion. Thank you.
2: Quickly, Vic Kabodi, sure. what what was that? That said, that was such a Bicubody? beautiful. Yeah, that's, Where would I find that?
0: You would find that in his book called "The Eightfold Noble Path on Right Speech." Okay. I'm pretty sure that's where I got it from, and it's a great book on the Eightfold Path. It's very simple. It's a free book from I can't remember where, but you can go online and look for it, and he's. Uh, He's a really, he's one of the eldest Western monks I know. He's, I don't know, he could be in his 80s, I'm not sure now, something like that. And he's a really good guy. I've, I've, he, he's taught here a few times and I've gotten to know him a little bit. He's lived in, in Asia for 35 or 40 years. Being given the teachings in the, in the traditional countries where the Buddha came from and Buddhism lives, and uh, he also has uh, uh, started something called Buddhist Global Relief, and because he feels like it's really good to be compassionate, but it's uh, but compassion needs to do something about stuff. So every year we participate in one of his projects which is to eliminate hunger and raise money for hungry people we do a march from I don't know where it goes from a Buddhist monastery in uh, Chinatown here in San Francisco I believe to Zen Center I can't remember and that's where but we ended up. Probably that's where we ended up yeah and um and he he's a he's a good guy and I like him too because I can't remember if it was the Super Bowl or the World Series. He was at my house, and, and I said, excuse me, venerable, but I have to watch a game right now. And it, and it was one of the two. It was when the Giants won the World Series the, or the 49ers won the Super Bowl. And I said, you can come join me. He said, oh, I hadn't, haven't seen the game like that in 35 years or something, or 40 years. And he came and watched and then and they were and after the San Francisco team won they were jumping up and down. They were very excited. And he was watching, he said, Oh grown man, jumping up and down. (laughs) I was really impressed with that, with how happy they were. Yeah. Sure. Thank you. Other comments, questions? Please. Hi. I'm Marissa. Melissa. Marissa. Marissa, thank you. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, I was just, while you were talking, I was thinking about how I've been suffering a lot lately, using my speech to sort of like get my way or make my case. Uh And as you were talking, I realized that I think this really is about um, me, instead of it, it's like the commu- so therefore the communication is really going this way, trying to like get stuff mm-hmm. and that um, if I focus more on what's true for me or what I need, uh-huh. a little bit more back here, Yeah. I may have less I may not have any more power but at least I
0: Right if, no, but no, You're saying something very good, keep going you may not have any more power but what? But I
1: feel a little bit I actually do feel more in control. Right,
0: you're here. Right, you're not trying to. You're actually here, and that's where true power is. That's a whole nother dimension of power. It's not power over. Yeah. Right. It's not. That's. It's not interpersonal power. It's being here. And remember, uh, one of the. Quotes I said was about obeying. We give others a space to be. We want to give ourselves a space to be. And that's what I hear you doing when you're not just trying to get something. Or
1: like getting them to understand it. Right. It's like
0: they're not. <laughs> right, and it's great to try, but also it's really important to see. Sometimes people can't get it. Right, and then, and that's, and they may be suffering, may be part of why they can't get it. Mm-hmm. So that's also an important component that helps me uh, stay not so reactive when I get the suffering. Some compassion arises very naturally, even when I disagree with the people. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I like them, mm-hmm. but I, I, I. I don't feel reactive. I get, oh, this is suffering.
1: It's like less personal.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's less personal.
1: Because I, I had a conversation recently with someone, and we had a conflict, and it really wasn't about like if the conflict made sense, really. Mm-hmm. There was tension, right? You know? And I find that to be true. Sometimes there's just tension, right? Know? And I try to acknowledge that that tension. And they just kept bringing the conversation back to the facts, you know, what happened, what was said, what was written. Right. And I was like, ah, oh, it doesn't even matter, I was like, this, and I was just like, this feels hard. Can we just acknowledge this? This just sucks, you know? Like, I'm so disappointed about this tension that we have right. now, and we used to have so much trust.
0: Right.
1: And I just couldn't, um... Yeah. get through to her.
0: Yeah, that happens. I mean, yeah. we're still learning how to get through both ways, because she had a different experience. Right? And she needed facts and figures and one, two, three. And we're different as people are different. Some yeah. of us need that. Some of us need to be able to just express the feeling or, or that energetic yeah. part. And they're both true. This is what's yeah. tricky. Yeah. They're both true
1: but I don't know if I can trust this person now. I'm really struggling to just rely on the facts to feel like I can trust them, because I'm like, my heart got broken in this tension, Right. and I want to move past it, but...
0: Yeah, but you can't just move past it. You have to care for your heart. And so you it doesn't mean you can't relate to the person, but you have to care for your heart.
1: just like, can I trust them even if they don't understand?
0: You can yeah. but you can. But you may not be able to trust them with everything. You, right. It's not a blank trust. You right. in, With anybody, I mean, even my wife. Sometimes she gets me. Sometimes she doesn't. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so great. You know, she's totally enlightened when she gets me, and she's not <laughs> enlightened when she doesn't. Right. I mean, you know, that's what we all think. You know, and, but but if I'm here, then I get me. Okay, and so she can get me sometimes and not get me sometimes. I still, she's still a good person, but we're having some tension about whatever we're having tension about. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. (coughs) Please. Uh, I'm. Yeah, you you can pick it up a little, so you can, yeah, great. Okay. Yeah, good, thanks. Um, I'm a pretty
3: old guy, and I can date back to the Eisenhower administration. And over the years, there have been administrations that I liked and administrations that I didn't like. But I never lived in a time like today where, I'm sorry to bring politics into this, but where it's just, you, you just love this administration, just, uh, yeah, yeah? Right, <laughs> right. Boy, that would be a lie and a half. Um, I, I just—it's just everything is based on deliberate lying, and I don't think this is like my opinion versus somebody else's opinion. Right. Um, okay, so, okay. I'm not going to get into politics, but I'm just saying. You. Yeah, yeah. Really, I'm not going to. Yeah. But it drives me crazy. Right. Because it isn't like just a false opinion; it's a deliberate lying. Yeah. Um Through. Right,
0: and it's true, it may be true in this country, but also I've seen personally, one hears it about other countries too, that people mm-hmm. are saying deliberate lies, and it, so it's part of the human condition that you're becoming aware of, and that's happened since the time of the Buddha, right, this is not brand new, but okay, mm-hmm. but it's, so what do you want, to, what about it, right?
3: I'm just dealing with the thinking. How do you deal with this blatant, these blatant, blatant lies and not go crazy?
0: Yeah. The, uh, yeah well, well, okay. So let me speak to that. That's really important what you say, because for some of us, we're going crazy because of how we're perceiving of what's happening and what, whatever it is around politics. Or, or around other areas of our lives where there's interaction between power and disempower, right? And so that's a really important question. And that's why the Dharma, is, um, that's why I believe it's really important to practice, because one can find peace right here. And then one opens up to the world, and it may stink at times. And it doesn't mean we don't smell the stink, but we also know how to hold our nose and just get here and find the peace that's inherent in your body, heart, and mind that, that you can discover through practice and that you know about in different ways. I know you in different worlds and you, you know about some of this. But it really means it's not one or the other, it's both. There's, a, there's peace, and there's going crazy sometimes, or being very upset because of the circumstances of dukkha in the world, which is, has happened since the Buddha, and the Buddha didn't say they would go away. Right. I, I, I would
3: love to get to that point of inner peace.
0: Right, but you already know something about inner peace, Clint, And so you might think about where and when it arises and how you can support it, and also how you can... um, um, the skillfulness of not taking in words every day about politics. Because it's all happening on its own. It's going to happen whether you like it or not. And so how much words are skillful to take in is, has to do with taking care of your heart and mind. Right, this is
3: the dilemma. I, I could just stop watching and reading the news. Yeah.
0: But I do want to know what's going on in this country. Right, so, so, so read the news uh, three days a week instead of seven days a week. Because you'll still know. I mean, it's all. And if anything really, really bad happens, you'll find out quicker because people will tell you. But it it takes discipline, not because it's addictive, right? The web is. It is. I totally see
3: that. I I see the rage and the hatred has has a red energy that can be intoxicating. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: No. Totally. Totally can and. Um, That's one of the things we learn in practice, is to let go of things we're attached to, even the news. Right. Well, I think your solution is better than throwing a brick through my TV screen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that could be skillful at times. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Please. My name is Patricia. Um, Hi, Patricia.
2: So I was listening to. What's your name, Clint? Clint. Clint. Um, and yeah, I. You know, um, I think politics is personal in that it affects our lives mm-hmm. enormously. Yeah. Even though it's seems to be over there and so yeah I, I I hear what you're saying Eugene about like not taking it all in all the time and you can get one I I know myself I can get pretty uh, steamed up and mm-hmm. agitated angry mm-hmm. and one of the things that helps me is to actually do things in the world, activism, that counter Mm -hmm. that and making, you know, doing positive action. And that helps me to counterbalance all of that energy that's negative. Great. Thank you for bringing that here.
0: No, that's really important. That's important for all of us because we like Bhikkhu Bodhi said, "We're not just trying to be compassionate; we need to act to deal with suffering, and it's also something that will help us keep from going crazy when shit's happening, because you know the the question is first, can we just get here, and then what would be skillful to do? And there are many organizations already at work, especially given." politics in the world who are attempting to um, begin to liberate all of us together and so whatever the skillful um, uh, arena might be, you you know, I mean I get these emails about politics and what I can do and I can sign on here or I can go to demonstration here and you know and sometimes that's the right thing to do to keep from going crazy because it's like yeah I want my voice to be heard mm-hmm. and and I want to do whatever I can to stop something that's inappropriate and yeah so thank you right, really thanks. really that's very helpful Ben. Mm-hmm. Right, this will, I think,
1: be short. Pardon? I think this will be short. Or, okay. So, um, there's a quote that I've, I've practiced a lot with. Um, it comes from James Flaherty, who's a coach. And oh, yeah, I know James. You're, you're listed in like the, the, the uh, acknowledgements from his book, so
0: I think you might know him. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and I so, his the, way, at the but, book you know, now. See, what the hell <laughs> <you're writing. laughs>
1: Yeah, so he's a coach and he teaches coaches to be coaches and all that stuff. And he said something along the lines of, it's really important to become a good listener. That you can listen to the shit you tell yourself while the other people are talking. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good line from James. Yeah. yeah, it's been it's been super huge for me. I mean, I have so many reactions to everything, and like I've tried hiding it, it doesn't really work very well. So right. listening to it is
3: pretty good.
0: Yeah, great. No, it's good. So you're really pointing. Like I said, when we talk about right speech, we're talking about speaking and listening both, and it's true for mindfulness practice. We want to see what's happening, and what we're telling ourselves about what's happening. Because often we just add on to everything. And personally, when I watch my mind, most of the stuff I add on is not true. It's just blah, 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 Eugene thinks or says or does. And I mean, some, sometimes I think something good, but it's, <laughs> you know, but it's not that often. Often it's just the mind doing itself. It's not the true intelligence that's saying something. And so that's great, great that you brought that in and great to see that when we're talking with someone else. It's what um, Eckhart Tolle was saying, right, about listening, right? Giving the other person space. Most people don't know how to listen because the major part of their attention is taken up by what they're thinking. Right, so we're not actually listening to one another, and and it's so when we really li- when I listen to other people, I learn so much, really, and it's because everybody's you know the Dharma, the Dharma is everywhere. Thank you, Beth. Okay, let's sit for a minute, please. <laughs>